It's Wednesday, January 23rd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Twenty seventeen marked the beginning of the end for Toys R Us. Twenty eighteen was all about Sears, and now twenty nineteen will be all about J.C. Penney and whether they can avoid the same fate as Sears. As companies struggle to keep up in the changing retail industry, Penney's new CEO and her plan to save the company are getting some attention. Suzanne Kapner, reporter for the Wall Street Journal, joins us to discuss another former retail giant in trouble. Next, as the government shutdown reaches its thirty-third day. There will be a second round of checks with zeros on it for federal workers affected by the shutdown. Considering that over three quarters of all full-time workers are living paycheck to paycheck, what are the best and worst ways to borrow money during this time? Jessica Dickler, personal finance writer for CNBC, joins us for some advice on getting cash during the shutdown. Finally, Oscar nominations came in, and as usual, there were surprises and snubs. Netflix has changed the movie game and long fought for recognition, and now has claimed a Best Picture nomination with Roma. Black Panther, Spike Lee, and Bradley Cooper also made headlines. Jason Nathanson, ABC News Entertainment correspondent, joins us for an Oscars breakdown. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. The stores are also they're just cluttered with too much merchandise. Penny's had this problem quarter after quarter, year after year. Their sales have been falling short, so that leaves them with too much stuff, and they've been trying to clear it out. But you know, you walk in their stores, and they just look like a mess. Joining us now is Suzanne Kapner, reporter for the Wall Street Journal. If 2017 marked the beginning of the end for Toys R Us, and 2018 was the beginning of The end, possibly for Sears. A lot of analysts and experts are saying that it's J.C. Penney's turn in 2019. They're bogged down by slow sales. A lot of their stores are stuck in these struggling malls that aren't getting a lot of foot traffic anymore. And their management strategy, their their strategy to get out of the funk that they're in, is all over the place. They have a, a new leader right now, which is brand new, and she hasn't even come up with a strategy for the big turnaround. Tell us about J.C. Penney and their struggle to avoid the same fate as Sears. Well, a lot of this dates back to 2011 and so when the board realized that Penny just wasn't, it was starting to lose market share and starting to lose sales and they wanted to overhaul the company and they brought in this former Apple executive, Ron Johnson, who without testing anything made some radical changes that did not work out and that's sort of an understatement. They were disastrous. He did away with sales promotions and went to an everyday low price strategy and eliminated some of their popular private label brands. And customers just voted with their feet. They didn't stop shopping there. And the company lost like a billion dollars in sales in one year. And ever since then, they have just not been able to get back on their feet. They brought back one of their former CEOs just to kind of um, stabilize things. And then he, you know, then the board brought in this Home Depot executive, Marvin Ellison, who his big idea was to bring back appliances, which Penny had stopped selling in 1983. And the thinking, you know, it made sense. Sears was struggling. Sears was like the other anchor in a lot of these malls that Penny was in. And as Sears was losing customers, Penny thought they could pick up some of those shoppers by selling appliances, which was really Sears' bread and butter. The problem, though, is that appliances are much more sales intensive and a lower profit business than apparel, which is, had always been Penny's core business. And as the company focused on, on appliances, they sort of lost their mojo with apparel, which was where they had gotten the majority of their sales. So, yeah, that's so weird. Um, 
you know, so it's, it goes from like one mistake to another. And fast forward to today where, you know, Marvin Ellison last May left to run Lowe's and they brought in yet a new CEO. This woman, Jill Solto from Joanne Fabric, you know, was a craft, the craft and fabric store, Joanne's. And, you know, so she's new. And so it's, it's reasonable that she hasn't outlined her strategy yet, but she's got a lot of big challenges facing her, not least of which a lot of very important positions in the executive suite are open right now from the chief merchant to they need a CFO, they need a head of planning and allocation, they need a chief customer officer. These are really key roles that help a company run effectively. And Penny does not have as looking, still looking to fill a lot of these jobs. Yeah, it's so weird. It's things were going a little south. And then it seems like they lost their identity. Like you said about the the apparel was such a key thing for them. I mean, I remember uh, I loved buying jeans there back in the day because the sales would hit and you'd want to go. But they started losing business when discount stores like Walmart started upping their apparel game. Fast fashion and off-brand stores like TJ Maxx started upping their game. And then obviously, you know, Amazon and online shopping kind of put the nail in the coffin there. But to lose your identity as a, an apparel company kind of like that, it, it just seemed weird that they would stray away so far from that. And one of the past CEOs even killed off the chief merchant position, which right. is responsible for setting that fashion agenda. And to lose some of that, I mean, that losing where, where your core business was, it just doesn't seem like any smart moves, as you were just alluding to. That's right. And I've gotten a lot of emails from former penny shoppers explaining why they don't shop there anymore. Well, big one is customer service. And this is something a lot of department stores are struggling with that because they have rising costs now and they have to spend money on technology and the price of the goods they sell have come down. They just don't have as much money to spend on sales associates in the store. So that's been a big challenge for these stores. But you can see it's really, really important to shoppers. They're not going into Walmart. They're going to someplace where they expect to have salespeople help them make a decision, especially when you're buying something like an appliance. You really need a knowledgeable salesperson. So that's been a big, another big problem that they've been facing. And the stores are also, they're just cluttered with too much merchandise. Penny's had this problem quarter after quarter, year after year. Their sales have been falling short. So that leaves them with too much stuff. And they've been trying to clear it out. But, you know, you walk in their stores and they just look like a mess. There's just clothes all over the place and it's too cluttered for people. It's a big turnoff. JCPenney hit a, a real big low last month when their stock went under a dollar. Everybody was saying, you know, JCPenney is the new penny stock now. You know, we talked about Sears a little bit. They were going through the bankruptcy, possible liquidation, Eddie Lampert, last minute bid to keep them open. But really, what is the future for businesses like Sears and JCPenney's? I think you need to really figure out what you stand for. Like, why would someone come to your store and just focus on that and do that really, really, really well? But it's hard to focus today when, you know, retailers have so many distractions online, omnichannel buy online, pick up in store, you know, social media, like it's just a much more complicated business than it used to be. And it becomes harder to just focus on a couple of key ingredients. Maybe they need to set up a really robust influencer campaign or something. (laughs) Who knows? But uh, all eyes are going to be on JCPenney now this year. So we'll see what happens. Suzanne Kapner, reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Let's <laughs> go.
Almost everyone in my office has filed for unemployment. Everybody is concerned about when we're going back to work. We're restricted severely in what we can do to earn outside employment and income. And there's very little that any employer would be interested in hiring an employee who is going to be going back to work at any moment. Joining us now is Jessica Dickler personal finance writer for CNBC. We are amid the longest federal shutdown in history. The partial government shutdown is in its 33rd day right now. There's hundreds of thousands of federal workers that are furloughed or working without pay. And we're up on the second paycheck that they're getting that's going to have zeros. I know a lot of them are starting to feel the pinch. It's three quarters of full-time workers live paycheck to paycheck. It's pretty amazing how much people really rely on their bi-weekly pay, their weekly pay, whatever it is. That's just how people operate a lot of times. Savings are hard to come by. So the position that these people are in now, what do they do for money now? Do they have to take out loans or credit card advances, things like that? Jessica, we wanted to bring you in because not all types of borrowing are created equal. The good thing is that there are a lot of government assistance programs for these people specifically. What do we know about the best and worst ways to borrow money during this? Federal employees, like most people who would have to go a month without pay, are going to need some sort of loan to get by. Very few people have that kind of emergency savings set aside. So what we found is that you should always start with your bank or credit union. Right now, a lot of lenders are trying to work with those affected by the shutdown. You may be able to get a short-term loan with very low or no interest at all. Also, more banks. Banks are waiving fees if you've overdone your account, for example. So definitely call your lender first and as soon as possible. Early on, when the shutdown was starting to gain steam, they were saying, uh, oh, what about our mortgages and things like that? Was there any reports of banks forgiving late payments or anything like that? A lot of banks, in fact, more and more banks are making concessions for those that are impacted. That could be regarding your mortgage or other types of loans. You definitely want to call your lender and see what they'll do for you. Most of it's on a case-by-case basis, so you have to explain your individual situation. So first place to look, it would be our uh, credit unions and things like that. There's the Congressional Federal Credit Union, the Naval Federal Credit Union, the Pentagon. There's a, there's a bunch of different ones. What about the interest rates? Because that's the most important thing when uh, dealing with these types of loans and assistance. Well, a lot of the furlough relief that's being offered by banks and credit unions is offered at 0% interest. So that's why I say you should start there. When it comes to other types of loans, you generally want to measure them by the interest rate and the conditions that would apply. So for most of the people that are going through the shutdown, federal government workers, the contractors, a lot of them would be covered with their own respective credit unions. Are you automatically enrolled into those things or do you have to go through the process of becoming one of these members? You do have to be a member. So find out what your status is and whether these apply to you. It may be the case for some federal employees, but not contractors. Look into what's applicable. And also if it's just a bank like Wells Fargo or Chase, they may also offer some concessions. Call and ask. What about home equity loans? I know a lot of people usually try to borrow against that. So if you have home equity, for example, that's likely your best bet because the interest rate can be as low as 5%. I mean, if you can't score one of the 0% short-term loans that some banks and credit unions are offering right now. Personal loans have come a long way. There's more companies or businesses that are offering these types of loans. 
It's basically an unsecured loan, which means you're not borrowing against something of value like your house. And that's particularly attractive if you don't have that kind of equity. But it also generally means that the loans come with a higher interest rate than a home equity loan. So these are mostly well suited for smaller loan amounts than a typical home equity loan, but more than you'd want to run up on your credit card, like anything up to thirty or $35,000. Yeah, I know a lot of people will immediately default to just putting things on the credit card. How viable does that get? It sort of depends. I mean, for smaller amounts, your credit card can really be a lifeline in these types of circumstances, especially a time like this with the shutdown. But that only works effectively if you can pay down that balance as soon as you do get your back pay. If you can't pay off your debt when you start earning money again, then it will escalate because of a very high interest rate. Credit cards have one of the highest rates around and that right now it averages around 17%. So if you can pay down your debt immediately, then fine. It can be a kind of a short-term gap, but if you can't, then just you're clear of credit card debt. A lot of times you you need cash. So the cash advance on your credit card don't do it, but the worst one of all, and we've heard these stories all over the place just in, in various forms, payday loans do not go with these cash advances. Right. I mean, they sound so appealing because they're very easy to get. Often you can walk into a storefront and walk out with cash, but these are absolutely the worst offenders because of the sky-high interest rate. Don't go there. Jessica Dickler, personal finance writer for CNBC. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Best Picture nominees. Black Panther. Black Klansman. Bohemian Rhapsody. The Favorite. Green Book. Roma. A Star is Born. And the eighth and final nominee... Vice. Joining us now is Jason Nathanson, ABC News entertainment correspondent. So yesterday we got the list of Oscar nominations. I love the Washington Post headline the most. Surprises and snubs from Spike Lee's first best director nod to poor Bradley Cooper. Everybody was really lamenting that Cooper didn't get the best director nomination. Let's talk about that, but I want to start off big picture first. The Oscars have been suffering from sagging ratings. I think last year was the lowest point for ratings that they've ever had. How important are these awards shows? Well, I mean, I think they're still very important. Yes, the ratings are down for the Oscars, but in terms of live telecast, things that we all get together and watch have that kind of communal feel. It's the most watched thing aside from football. It's not so much because of political controversies. I think that people aren't watching these things anymore. It's just the way we watch TV and we watch things in general has changed. We watch a lot more streaming things. We watch things alone. TV viewership as a whole is down overall. So award shows aren't as important as they once were, but they're still a thing where we all kind of come together and a good percentage of the country watches. It might be 10 to 15 percent of the country, but there still are millions and millions of people who watch these shows. The awards show is going to be on February 24th. The last time I heard there was no host yet. Uh, We all know the situation that happened with Kevin Hart. Is that still the case? No host? That is still the case. We have no host and I don't think we're going to at this point unless some miracle happens or somebody suggested to me earlier today that perhaps Kevin Hart actually is going to host and it's going to be a big surprise. He'll come out (laughs) on stage on Oscar night. I don't think that that's going to happen. I don't think so either. He was pretty adamant about not wanting to anymore. You know, I think a lot's been made about the host, especially over the past couple months. I don't think people go, oh, I'm going to watch the Oscar 
because because Kevin Hart's hosting or Jimmy Kimmel's hosting or Dave Chappelle or Chris Rock or, you know, Bob Hope. It's it's really more about the movies. And if there's movies people know and people are interested in, they're going to watch the Oscars. The host is good and the host can help with things. The, the host gets a lot of blame for the ratings and blame for the show. I don't think that's necessarily fair or accurate. Let's get into some of the nominations. Roma and Netflix, one of the big winners there. Uh, Black Panther hit it pretty big. Spike Lee with his first nomination for Best Director. What's the surprises? What are the snubs? One of the big stories, I think, coming out of the Oscars is the fact that Netflix did so well. With Roma, it's the first picture for Netflix that's ever been nominated for Best Picture, which is a big kind of sea change. There have been other films in the past from streaming services that have been nominated, but this is the first for Netflix. And to get 10 nominations is a very big deal, but it's not only the 10 nominations. It also got three nominations for The Ballad of Buster Scrubs and two more nominations for short documentaries. Netflix got 15 nominations overall. And by my count, if my if my math is right, I'm not that good at math. <laughs> Disney got 16 nominations. Wow. It's undeniable to say that Netflix has not changed the game. And it's funny because they have no official box office results for Roma. And, uh, you know, there was all sorts of resistance to even letting them be nominated for these things because they weren't released in that traditional way. Even AMC and Regal, who uh, once all the Oscar noms come out, they do these showcases where they play all of the best picture nominees just so people can catch up and whatnot. They're still refusing to play Roma in their theaters because they weren't officially licensed that way. Yeah. And it's funny because I asked Alfonso Cuaron, I said, do you know how many people are actually watching your movie on Netflix? And this is what he told me. They just smile at me and they, they, they say that they are very, very, very happy. And, and they say, congratulations, you made a big, big, big mainstream movie. But they don't let them know how many people actually saw it. They, they're not telling the guy who made the yeah. film how many people actually watched his film. So directors and people who make movies are going to have to get comfortable with that. And they're going to have to get comfortable with the fact that, you know what, box office, it's not going to really matter that much. Okay, what about Bradley Cooper? Because I know a lot of people were really sad for him. A Star is Born, it's a great movie. He got the nomination for lead actor there, but the big one, best director, he did not get. Yeah, and we're all crying for Bradley Cooper because his movie <laughs> only got eight nominations and he got a best actor nomination. Right. And yeah, if you make the movie, you really want to get that best director nomination, especially if you're a first-time director. That is absolutely validation in this industry that you've done something right. But Spike Lee just got his first best director nomination. And Spike Lee's been in the game how long now? 40 years or something that I've seen. Exactly. So Bradley Cooper can, he, he can take a little solace in the fact that, you know, it took Spike Lee that long. It's going to take him a little long. But a case can be made for the fact that he did get snubbed because his film got eight nominations. He directed himself to a Best Actor nomination. He directed Lady Gaga to a Best Actress nomination. And this is the first film that she's ever been in. Right. So that's pretty strong evidence that you are a good director. But this was just one of those years where you have a lot of strong directors. Yeah, he should be proud either way. Black Panther, I know, was a huge hit in the box office. And it's the first superhero movie ever nominated also for Best Picture. What's cool about that is this is exactly what the Academy wanted to do when 10 years ago they changed 
changed the number of nominations from five nominations to ten nominations, and that was to get more of these movies that people have actually seen and liked into the... And it's not just a, you know, also-ran nomination. Critics loved it when it when it came out. It was critically acclaimed, but also people saw it. It was the, the highest-grossing film of last year, made over $700 million in the U.S., which is just huge. So when you go to watch the Oscars, maybe you haven't seen Roma, maybe you haven't seen The Favorite. Chances are most people have not, or some of the other films that have been nominated. But most people will have seen Black Panther. Most people will have seen A Star is Born, because that made over $200 million. And most people will have seen Bohemian Rhapsody, which also made a ton of money as well. Jason Nathanson, ABC News Entertainment Correspondent. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Take care. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. Daily Dive.